Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome. I am delighted to have you back with me again this week on 1111 Talk Radio. And I am also thrilled to have a guest that is returning. I loved having Mark Matusek on the last time. We discussed his book, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and he is really an incredible writer and offers profound information through stories and through his own insights. I particularly love his new book, When You're Falling, Dive. And I think the reason that I love it so much is he really does dive into the things that we encounter in life. You know, life can often feel very hard. It can have tragedy. It will have heartbreak. It will have all of these bumps in the road and mountains to climb. And yet at the same time, you know, we are talking about being on this hero's journey and the human spirit and how strong it is. And yet so often we're not taught how to sink into those experiences that we are having and the goal that we can glean from them. I know with the trilogy that I have just released, Uh, that really goes deeply into similar types of things, but more from a multidimensional level. I am thrilled that more and more writers are starting to showcase how we must be present to the emotions and the experiences that we are having so that we truly tap into our humanity. Before I get into Mark's work, I do want to mention that my new trilogy is out. The first two books have been released Living the Seven Blessings of Human Experience goes into these unorthodox blessings that we can encounter and actually provides a ladder of experience where you can rise into higher octaves. And I'll talk more about that later in the show. But right now, I want to dive fully and completely into a rich conversation with Mark because there's so much in his new book, When You're Falling, Dive. He says, why do some people blossom through adversity while others fall apart? Do survivors of life's greatest trials possess some sort of secret knowledge? Or is there an art to survival, a map for crossing the wilderness or for daily life? Drawing on 20 years of experience in this field, using stories, parable, and scientific data, acclaimed memoirist Mark Matusik gives the first ever comprehensive look at this mysterious phenomenon of Viriditas, the power of drawing passion, beauty, and wisdom from the unlikeliest places. Mark Matusek is the award-winning author of seven books, including the memoirs The Boy He Left Behind and When You're Falling Dive. His writing has appeared in many publications, including The New Yorker, O, The Oprah Magazine, Details, Tricycle, Good Housekeeping, and more as well as in anthologies such as Wrestling with the Angel, Voices of the Millennium, and Oprah's Best Life. He blogs for Psychology Today and offers courses in creativity and spiritual growth around the world using writing to awaken method. And he has another uh, event coming up in October at the Rose Center, so uh, definitely check out his website, markmatusic.com, to find out more about that. But for right now, let's dive right in. Welcome back, Mark, to 1111 Talk Radio. I am so excited to be in conversation with you again. Thanks so much, Simran. It's great to talk to you again, as always. Thank you. You know, this book touched me deeply because you do go into so many of these types of things that we encounter. And I think a lot of people, uh, or most people at some point in their life, you know, ask themselves the question, of, you know, why does life have to be so hard? And will I ever get through this? And, oh, no, something else is going to happen. Or when's the other shoe going to drop? And there is this uh, part of life and duality that does kind of ask us to rise higher and higher through our challenges. But sometimes it can be daunting and it can feel overwhelming And we live in a society that often tells us to just keep moving on, to just get over it, to just move past things. And so before we really dive into some of the deep core concepts of your book, I'd love to uh, 
uh, have you provide some insight because I know you've had your own slew of experiences in life as to how your spirit was able to continue forward, to not go to that place of, I just have to trudge on with life and try to push past these things, uh, but yet also not sink into them so deeply that you got uh, swept away by the experiences that you were having. Thanks. I mean, that's a great question. I started, I was initiated very young into the impermanence of life, the, the tragic side of life. There was a lot of loss, a lot of violence and difficulty in my very early life. So I feel like I've been a seeker and a survivor since I was, you know, eight, maybe eight or nine years old. Uh, and so over the years, as I've been thrown various, you know, curveballs, including a, a fatal diagnosis when I was 29 and all kinds of, you know, difficulties, uh, I've found that when you uh, when you look at your experience uh, through the witness uh, perspective uh, and not through the ego uh, eye, which feels like, why me? And this shouldn't be happening. And, and how can I make this go away? And how can I make it, you know, my, how can I look better in the world? Uh, when you shift from that to the perspective of the, what you would call the higher self, the witness, the, the, the true self, then experience takes on a completely different quality. It's the quality of education. It's the quality of deepening. Uh, there's richness and nourishment even in moments of grief and loss. In fact, some of our greatest moments of poignancy and intimacy come in the presence of, of death or in the presence of catastrophic change. You know, the word catastrophe comes from the Greek for to turn around. And that's what it has done for me many, many times in my life. And so what I wanted to do with this book was gather a, a group of, of, of extraordinary survivors from completely different walks of life to talk about what that essential thing is that helps us shift from the, the trudging, the sinking that you were describing into a, a feeling of, if not gratitude, at least recognition that the suffering that we're going through has another side to it. You know, something that one of the women in the book said to me after losing her child, a three-year-old daughter to cancer, was that no matter what is happening in any given moment of our lives, something else is also true. And when you get that, when you realize that experience is paradoxical, that it's non-dual, uh, that while it's true that it hurts, it's also true that that very same thing can be liberating you, uh, then you could say that life becomes a win-win experience. It, you win if things go your way. Of course, we all want things to go our way. That's fantastic. Enjoy it when it's, ha when it's happening because it won't last. But, but then when it doesn't go your way, there's an even greater win on a spiritual level because it forces you to look for that part of yourself that can't be lost, that can't be taken away. You're forced toward the spiritual and beyond the material, the physical, and the egotistical. And so it really does become a win-win. And that's not Pollyanna. You know, things hurt. Things hurt. There's struggle. There are lots of unresolved uh, issues that we all deal with in our lives. But there's a shift from, you could say, the, the victim. It really is a shift from the victim to the agent uh, and the author, the author of our own experience. When that happens, that's a spiritual shift. Uh, and that, for me, has been the overall trajectory of my own life. Uh, so much of, of what the book has resonated in with me is that it was from people who went through the experiences. And I know going through my own experience uh, of trauma and loss and grief in the last seven years and really allowing myself to feel every nuance of that, these things like grief and trauma are actually doorways and gateways. And if we allow that to be integrated we do reach these places where pleasure and pain seem to actually merge, but it can't be a heady experience. It can't be something that you just think your way into. It truly does have to be felt and embodied and experienced. And I love how you open the book, starting off by saying our prevailing contemporary view of pain and loss as handicaps to be avoided at any cost is not only wrongheaded, but deeply ass-backward, in fact. Terror is fuel. Wounding is power. Darkness carries the seeds of redemption. Authentic strength isn't found in our armor, 
but at the very pit of the wounds each of us manages to survive. That's so profound and so intimately visceral when I read that. Uh, I'd love you for you to talk a little bit more about how to really allow oneself to sink into it enough to be able to be witness at the same time. Uh, because so often when we're in those places of trauma or tragedy and pain, it is easy to become the pain or become the story or become the ego of that particular experience. What is the shift into witness that has to take place in that moment without leaving the juice of feeling the experience and integrating? This goes to the heart of the the primary insight I had over ten years as a as a kind of a Dharma bomb after I got my diagnosis in my twenties and I started uh, meditating and and visiting teachers and and reading everything I could get my hands on in terms of liter- wisdom literature. The primary insight, the big takeaway, was that suffering has a purpose; that it's not for naught; that it's it, it, it's it's Suffering isn't just something to be uh, to be uh, jumped over or pushed away or got rid of as, as quickly as possible. That is actually fuel. Uh, and it's fuel because it shows us where we're caught, shows us where we're clinging and where we're, where we're holding on, where we're not free, you know, where there's ignorance. You know, suffering comes from ignorance. And it also comes from what the Buddhists call shooting in the second arrow. Something hurts us, we have a loss, we have some pain, uh, then we start to feel uh, sorry for ourselves about it. That's the second arrow that turns pain into suffering. And uh, so the insight that, the, that, that difficult experience, that adversity is there for a purpose, that it can be used as a guide, as a teacher, uh, was radical for me. It was radical, mm. it, it was everything, because particularly I had grown up in a family of depressive, suicidal people uh, for whom, you know, there was no spiritual dimension to life. And, and suffering was just just the kind of the misery that happens to you that you have to suffer with for the rest of your life. So for me to realize that there was more to it than that and that grief actually has a, a quality to it that you can use for your own awakening, uh, that that was that was great news, Simran. That 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 that. For me, changed everything because, of course, suffering, pain is certainly inevitable, and suffering is more or less inevitable. How are we going to live with that if, with an element of constructive uh, growth and a sense that we that that this is for a purpose, not just uh, a terrible thing that we have to, uh, you know, that shouldn't have happened to us? And why me? One of the things that I love that you share in the book is later on, and you were actually in my backyard in South Carolina. Uh, when you came across someone who had been a seeker all his life and you were seeking, and he provided a profound bit of information that um, illustrated that all his seeking had led to nothing. And it's it's not to derail people from uh, seeking themselves or their own self-realization, but to understand perhaps that we have a lot of ways that we distract ourselves, including mm-hmm. other addictions and spirituality or seeking can sometimes be an equal addiction of distraction. Can you say a little more about that? Yes, that was a big wake-up call for me. It was at the end of this 10-year period I'm talking about when I had been on the road and I was just loving being a seeker, although I didn't realize that I was actually running from my life, not toward my life at a certain point. And I met a guy at the Mayor Baba Center down in Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, and he said to me that I, he said, oh, after all of these years, all of these years, what he had come up with was nada, nothing. And what for me that was, was a kind of a prophet telling me to go home, take care of my business, figure out what I was running from. And as Mir Baba himself put it, dig in one place, you know, stop looking for the answers outside of myself. Uh, it was for me like meeting the kind of the ghost of Christmas past. It was very scary because I could see where I could end up 20 years hence if I just kind of stayed on the road and became a permanent, uh, a permanent Dharma bum. Uh, I was not going to, I was not going to dig roots. I was not, there was not going to be a solid foundation to my life. So it was a huge uh, wake up call for me. And I became a lot more discerning about my own seekers life and, and paying attention to when I needed to take care of business, so to speak. And when it was 
you know, when, when I was free to go away for a week and, and, and disappear into a, a, a silent meditation retreat or something like that. So it, it was it was good for me. I needed the discernment because I had gone too far in the other direction. We spend so much of our lives in a waking trance of retrospection, regret, distraction, idling, and disembodiment through a range of addictions that when the bottom does fall out, life assumes a sudden counterintuitive richness, clarity where there was haze. We're starched into the present tense where we stop and gaze around the wonder at existence on a mysterious planet. Epiphanies happen where life and death meet. This is from Mark Matusik's book, When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living. I invite you to find out more about him at markmatusik.com. You can find that link in his bio description on the show page. You might also want to explore his uh, workshop in October at the Rose Center. So definitely look at that on his website as well. We'll be right back after these messages with more of the wonderful Mark Matusik. And when you're falling, dive. Do you want more? More joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? More empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. We are going to get right back to Mark Matusik, but I wanted to go more into the Self-Realization Trilogy that I have also released. The first book is Living, the Seven Blessings of Human Experience. And as I mentioned, it is about the unorthodox blessings that we encounter in life that actually are the openings to our higher expression. The second book in this series is called Being, the Seven Illusions that Derail Personal Power, Purpose, and Peace. This takes you into your multidimensional aspect where you not only discover the shadow, but you discover the animal side of yourself. And if you go deeper, you'll discover the monster within all of us that helps to create some of the actions and creations in the world. And if willing to go even deeper, you'll discover the inner demons that have you hooked into the illusions of time, duality, money, hierarchy, identity, evolution, and war. I hope you'll dive in. These are not books to be read quickly. I only want you to read a few lines or a paragraph a day and let the medicine of them work within you. 
My guest today is Mark Matusik, and I've had him on before, so I hope you will look up his other radio episode around sex, death, enlightenment. That one was also deeply satisfying to have, and it was very rich in its content. So be sure to look that one up and order that book as well when you're ordering When You're Falling Dive. We're talking today about how we move through adversity and how we draw the passion and the beauty and the wisdom from the experiences that we have, how we create from duality an embrace of this paradoxical oneness that exists all around us. Mark Matusik says in his book, self-realization is not for sissies. Transformation comes at a cost. We may be shattered and freed by hardship eventually, but the process requires a stomach for change. A condition of complete simplicity was exactly what one of his stories talked about. You know, simplicity was one of the first steps of grace in my third book, Mark, that has to occur within us. And I think as we move through our spiritual paths, there comes a certain point where either things are stripped from us or we get to a place where we have this understanding that we have to simplify our lives, that we have to weed out the things that are creating the angst and the hardship and uh, the weight that is within our experience and truly be with the crux of what's in front of us. As you spoke to the many individuals, and these are profound stories within this book, that had gone through all types of adversity, did you find a similar theme about moving to a place of simplicity and pure presence with what they were going through, where all of the extraneous parts of their lives that they once thought important were able to then just fall away. I'd say, Simran, I didn't speak to a single person who didn't go through that experience of of uh, stripping down, of letting go of the inessential, of having their values reshuffled, uh, of having to make difficult decisions and to let go of things, some things that were, were, were hard for them that they were quite attached to in order to heal uh, and in order to uh, move through whatever crisis they, they were going through. You know, we, we, we can't go through it with extra baggage. And that, of course, is one of the great advantages of crisis is it forces us to ask what truly matters. Uh, and it almost always turns out to be about love. Uh, it's almost it's never about the job we didn't get. It's never about the trip we didn't take. It's not even necessarily uh, uh, about the, you know, the, the personal achievement that we weren't able to make happen. It's about love. It's about the relationships that matter to us. It's about uh, our shared experience. It's about community. It's about family. Uh, and, and so touching into that is what gives us strength in the hardest moments because those things can't be taken away. And I was saying earlier that, that, that one of the values of catastrophe, a disaster, uh, is it forces us to look at what can't be removed. And when we ask that question, it's always about the people that we love. It's always about you know, giving back and making the world a better place, you know, engaging in repair of, 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 of the, the planet in some way. Uh, so that's the beauty of, of crisis is it turns us in the right direction if we are willing to open up to it and, and, and not, not close down. Because the other way, of course, and goes without saying, to react to tragedy, crisis, catastrophe is through, is through narrowing and shrinking down in fear. And we always have that choice. But as I learned along the way, and I'm sure you have in your life, in those moments when it's the hardest and you really don't think you have it in you, uh, to, to, to keep opening, uh, it's, it, no one but you can make it happen. You can sit in the corner and say no and shut down. Nobody's going to come and save you or come and find you. It's up to each of us to open and keep opening. That's the courage that it takes. Uh, it's the humility that it takes also. Uh, and we do that through simplicity, but through realizing that we have a choice to open or to close. It's not rocket science, and it's not a lot more complicated than that. We say yes to life, we say yes to change, or we don't. And every person I spoke to in When You're Falling Dive had, had gone through their version of that experience. And many of them, by the way, were not what you call spiritual types. You know, they didn't use the terminology of spirituality, but they, they understand the heart uh, of awakening because they survivors 
are more deeply rooted in this awareness than than folks who have uh, had more sheltered lives. Well, we all are familiar with the human experience, whether it is something that we're going through in our own lives or whether we're watching sometimes the things on television or in the news that uh, can often break our hearts. And what I have discovered is when we are in that place of martyrdom and victimhood of really questioning why and going into that constriction that you spoke of, it often has to do with self-absorption and self-obsession rather than that larger perspective and view that you're talking about. A profound story that you had in the book is Nawang's story. And she's a 13-year-old that was uh, taken away simply for saying something that was equivalent to long live the queen. And yet nothing broke her spirit because she stayed centered on what was greater. I love how you wrote that her freedom rested in her ability not to hate, despite all of the things that had occurred or been done to her in her captivity. You also said that her self-worth did not depend on aggrandizing herself, but simply her birthright as a human being. That's such a rich place for each of us to root and ground into, yet oftentimes it is that self-absorption, self-obsession that keeps us from having that larger lens. Talk a little more about what you learned from Nawang and your thoughts on how we rise to that higher global perspective as witness and activist, sacred soul activist, as opposed to staying so centered and focused on the little story that has taken place within us, as painful as it may be. Yes, well, Noong was a, a Buddhist nun, a Tibetan Buddhist nun who had been uh, thrown in jail as a teenager. I think she was in jail for eight or nine years and suffered indignities and, and torture. And she mentioned that the thing that scared her the most was not her own uh, pain. It was the losing her compassion. Because as a nun, she valued metta, loving kindness, uh, above, above everything. Uh, and she was not, as you say, caught in self-absorption in the small self. What she was uh, caught in, it was self-absorption, uh, capital S. You know, looking at her, her Buddha nature, her larger self, her true self, that her authentic being, that's what she was protecting. And that is a sign and a signal for how we can all meet the adversities of our lives, is instead of being obsessed with this little encased ego, this small little sense of self, uh, we can expand our sense of self and become, become obsessed or compulsive about looking from the perspective of the larger self. If we were half as, as concerned with the larger self as we were with the smaller self, this would be a transformed planet and we would be a very different species. Uh, so what I learned from her was that people can take away your freedom, they can take away your external dignity, but they can't rob you of that sense of the larger self, provided uh, you, you continue to cultivate that and you keep your eye on the ball and you realize that that really is the thing you don't want to lose. Everything else can be taken away, but that sense of, of, of oneself as a soul uh, can't be taken away from us when we pay attention to it and when we care about it as much as this you know, extraordinarily uh, brave uh, nun did. Mm, I love that. That Every story has its own beauty in here, and you have done an incredible job of different types of scenarios, which I would imagine people would identify with uh, several of them in some way with, the, with their own stories. You talk about how every journey has a secret destination that we're completely unaware of. And so often our willed nature wants to go in a particular direction and wants to have life turn out in a certain way. And we don't often realize that the things that occur in our lives are not only shaping us, but pivoting us uh, towards the destinations where we ultimately can serve the greatest good. So when you look at life as that labyrinth, as you talk about, and we follow these different places going back and forth, what do you say to people if they 
keep encountering these pivots, these, these turnings, but they have that willful nature. Do you find that the will often creates more of the suffering or did it in any of the cases of the stories? You, that's a great point. And it goes back to what I was just saying about saying yes and having that fundamental choice between no and yes. That quote of Martin Buber, the great Jewish theologian, that every journey has a secret destination of which the traveler is unaware, really became a mantra for me. The more I uh, went on my own spiritual journey and was met by mystery after mystery after mystery. And then, of course, it, it continues in what we call sort of ordinary life as well. Saying yes to the surprises, being open to not knowing outcomes. And realizing that there's a force greater than we are that is moving us forward through this through this labyrinth. It's this larger self that I was talking about earlier that that moves us through this labyrinth, and we can't always uh, fathom the choices that life makes for us and the ways that we're invited into uh, unexpected de- uh, destinations. Uh, but it's very very important that we keep saying yes because when we don't do that. We're trying to swim backward. We're trying to either stay still or swim backward against the, the tide uh, to regain something that we've lost. And that is the kiss of death. When it comes to resilience, when it comes to surviving through hard times, trying to move backward, trying to reclaim what we've had in the past is antithetical uh, to healing and well-being. The subtitle of the book is Lessons in the Art of Living. And it is filled with many lessons, but one of those is also regarding the art of losing. And you talk a little bit about Viktor Frankl, and it goes back to that conversation of love that you mentioned. And you also said the word dignity. And Frankl also says that without dignity, we might as well be animals. And you say this dignity is a form of grace, that we need it to sustain and not become slaughtered or destroyed. Uh, That dignity seems to be something inherent in the individuals that are able to be resilient enough and have the tenacity to continue persevering while also fully allowing their humanity to open up. Uh, I'd love for you to share a little more about dignity, but also I have found that Humanity is something that we have yet to open up to in many cases, that it's not just blanket that we have humanity, but that it is these very circumstances that actually open us to our humanity. Mm, that's beautifully said, and I agree with that. We are human beings, though we're not always completely in touch with our own humanity. And that's something that Viktor Frankl, the great, uh, the great scholar and psychologist of the Holocaust, uh, made clear He called it the last of the human freedoms, and that is to maintain our dignity, to to make our to choose our way uh, in the presence of all kinds of uh, different uh, conditions, regardless of what life uh, gives us. To choose our way is the last of the human freedoms, and that's the key to our dignity. And again, it goes to uh, saying yes to love, saying yes to opening, saying yes to uh, risk. Because there's you know, life is nothing if not risk, uh, risk-taking. Uh, and we have the freedom, that's our freedom, is to, is to accede to life, to lean into life. And that is what gives us our dignity. You know, there's nothing more pathetic than a, a human being who's trying to, um, to master life or to say no to what life is giving him and her or her and, and, and trying to, you know, kind of hold on to their own little willful idea of, of things. That is a recipe for disaster. That makes us small and petty and rigid and, and scared. Uh, so dignity comes from leaning in uh, and saying yes and allowing that that we don't know where we're going. That is that's one of the that's one of the givens here. We have no clue where we're going. So if we're fighting against that reality, we're going to be in adverse. We're going to be in uh, an adversarial relationship with our with our lives, in a you know ongoing because we simply can't control the future. And you know, isn't that a? Can you imagine how awful it would be if we could? <laughs> what a what an egotistical you know. Uh, what a you know what a egotistical and and really selfish world it would be if we were in control. Thank God we're not. Thank God we're not. Fixated hope is a problem. 
When we attach ourselves to a single outcome, it's easy to become hope's hostage, to imprison ourselves in optimism and trap ourselves through inflexible craving for a premeditated result. Hope of this kind brings sure disappointment. We risk spending our time consumed by longing, obsessed with all the things we don't have, and unhappy with what life has chosen to give us. Buddhists have a word for this gap between fixated hope and its fulfillment, dukkha, a far-reaching term encompassing the absence of ultimate satisfaction in an imperfect world where all things must come to an end. This is from Mark Matusik's book, When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living. You can find out more about him and all of the things that he has done, including his other books he has written, by going to markmatusik.com. Definitely check out his upcoming workshop at the Rose Center, which is in October. All of that and more is on his website. Again, that's markmatusik.com. We'll be right back with Mark right after these messages. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. I definitely urge you to pick up your copy of When You're Falling, Dive by Mark Matusek. It will fill your soul. It will open your heart. It will offer you an opportunity for deepened gratitude for your own experience. And it may lift up your spirit in resilience to help you understand that there is something greater going on in your life than what you may perceive in the moment. It's time to rise into the higher self and open yourself to the soulful sacred activism that is possible through the experiences that you're having. Thomas Merton said, true prayer and love are learned in the moment when prayer becomes impossible and the heart has turned to stone. That was a powerful statement. I've never seen that one before by Thomas Merton, so I was just thrilled to have it in your books for me to to read that one. Talk about that heart turning to stone and um, the necessity for us to crack open. I think that so often people consider a broken heart a bad thing, but when I contemplate that more and more, it's almost as if the hardened shell of the heart 
has to be broken for us to discover not only our humanity, but to rise into the higher self. Yeah, no question about that, that there's more room in a broken heart. That's not that's not uh, original. Uh, but we come to those moments in life when we feel like we can't love one more inch. We can't move. We can't open one more millimeter. We can't stay one more minute with a person whom we care about because anger or some you know destructive emotions have come up or some kind of resistance or adversity. It's in those moments when we stay, when we abide. Uh, when we do what we think we can't or what the ego tells us that we can't, that we learn uh, about love. And I was teaching a workshop last week at, at Hollyhock in Cortez Island, and we were talking about unconditional love, which I think is a bit of a red herring. I'm not sure that any human being is capable uh, in a sustained way of unconditional love for you know for everyone. And that, in fact, most of us live in a far in a much more case by case uh, a place where we are, where we're struggling with it. The heart opens and the heart closes for many, many uh, personal reasons. Some neurotic, some of them healthy. Um, but we, it's in knowing how to work with those closed moments that we that we that we really strengthen our ability to love. In the same way that it's working in those closed moments when we can't pray or when we can't focus, can't come to our our center. It's in those moments those particular moments that we are closest to enlightenment, in fact. Because when we realize how close we are, that in itself is a moment of enlightenment. And when we realize how unloving we are, how hard it is for us to have compassion, that is a moment of enlightenment. So those are actually blessed moments. Those are moments of, of grace, even though the information we're not getting isn't pleasant. It's not what we, it doesn't fit in with our spiritual idealism. But the fact is that we are, we are both uh, human and we are being, you know, and the, the human part is a complicated matter. Uh, so the being part is, sits there patiently waiting behind, always with us, uh, while the human scrambles to, to untangle its, its, its complicated heart. Uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, but the poet W.H. Auden said, you love your crooked neighbor with all, with your, with all your crooked heart. That's mm. human life. That's human life. We're not angels. Uh, and frankly, I'm glad we're not angels. It's, it's more interesting you know, being these, these paradoxical creatures and, and having to get through our own perfectionism and our own idealism. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. We are most definitely multidimensional in our being. And, <laughs> right. and it is facing all of those faces within ourselves that makes the difference. You said something in that, uh, which took me to one of your stories, and it had to do with a woman who was married to someone that was engaged in addictions. And she discovered through that her own addiction was, was trying to save the other. And so often the things that we find ourselves in, there is this flip side to the coin where we're truly unconscious to how we do the same thing in a different way. And it is that awareness, that aha moment that you just spoke of that uh, is the trigger for expansion uh, within us, within our mind, within our heart, and then with our expression. Innocence plays such a huge role in that. And it becomes a place that it has to be almost a dawning of innocence. But yet within the book, you talk a little bit about Marilyn Robinson and how she says there's something called learned innocence that is also possible. Uh, we are addictive in our ways. We are naturally addictive human beings. Talk a little bit about how you perceive some of the stories of addiction and the movement toward innocence or learned innocence. Wow, that's a great question. I love that quote of Marilyn Robinson's from her novel, Gilead, that, that there's a learned innocence that's as much to be valued as the innocence of children, because that is the path of the seeker. That is the path of awakening. There is no one more innocent than the awakened individual uh, with beginner's mind and seeing life through the through the eyes of uh, of a child, you know, having that kind of wholeness and that kind of in, integrity. Uh, and that innocence uh, requires a lot of practice and it requires a lot of effort to get to that point of simplicity, as as we were talking about earlier. 
Now, in terms of addiction, this is fascinating to me. And the woman I spoke to was a classic codependent. And what she was learning uh, was that you know, her, her uh, addiction to saving, her addiction to being a rescuer, her addiction to protecting the addict uh, was as toxic, in fact, as their, as their uh, drinking was. The thing that you learn in codependency and the reason it's so, such a profound teaching uh, is that the things that work in so-called normal life or sober life, such as showing someone support when they need it, you know, being being there for them, backing them up, having their back, uh, actually become destructive uh, in the life of an addict because the life uh, of an addict is upside down. So we become in trying to help and in showing our love, we can so easily get sucked into that that uh, vortex of, of addiction, and that's something that Kathleen uh, learned in, in in the book, to, you know, talking about her codependent relationship, and it's something that most of us can do, can relate to in our in our lives, even when we're not involved with people who abuse drugs or alcohol or who are who are addicts in any kind of graphic sense. We have, as you said, an addictive style. It's how that's how the, the clinging mind works. And when we enable one another's unhealthy addictions, uh, we disable ourselves and we we put our own uh, the larger self uh, in, in the back seat. And we let the ego drive because essentially addiction is about control. It's about fear, as is codependency. So until we recognize that and we let go, uh, that was a huge piece of her story was that she realized she had to let go and allow her husband to have his journey, that she couldn't save him from his own choices. And that is a universal phenomenon, something that we all have to facing all of our relationships we can't run interference between the people we love and their and their fate and their lives and their and their choices and, and that's what a codependent does you know that that funny line about you know when a codependent dies somebody else's life flashes before their eyes uh-huh. that, that really <laughs> is that 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 captures it in a nutshell you're living someone else's reality uh, you are not being truthful in a profound way, and you're not taking care of your own clinging and your own your own suffering, which only you know perpetuates it. That's how you get that vicious cycle between the codependent and the addict. Yeah, I, th- I think that that is another piece that's intrinsic in most human beings: our need to control, our need to fix, our need to yeah, yeah. feel important, our need for significance. All of these things are places that we have to look at within ourselves as opposed to projecting it outside as uh, one more distraction from what we've really come for. You have in the book about doubleness comes as a revelation. And earlier in the show, in the beginning segment, I believe, you talked a bit about how everything has these two sides. I've also found that we in life tend to experience both sides at some point or another. If we have experienced uh, a darkness in one area, we will experience the same type of thing from the light or someone that has experienced something uh, or given someone something, they'll end up experiencing it from the other side. I don't know that I believe in karma. I believe it is just the nature of experience to give us all things uh, as we move through Talk a little bit about this doubleness and how it serves to grow the witness within us so that we can come to this place of not only understanding, but eventually a spiritual maturity that gets us to neutrality. Yes, well, this is this goes back to Joni Mitchell talking about looking at life from both sides now. You know, until we until we are able to understand that there is light and darkness, there is darkness and light, yin and yang are connected, that both are in fact necessary for the whole and for our integrity, uh, then we're always going to be running away from uh, from things that seem unpleasant to us or that on the surface are not what we wanted them to be. So it's, it's understanding that every experience uh, impacts us on many different levels and in many different ways, and that we have a choice, as we were talking about earlier, about how we respond to what happens to us. We can't change what happens to us. We can absolutely shift our perspective 
uh, and what Emerson called the angle of vision. When you shift your angle of vision and you realize that even in a terrible loss, there's an opportunity for depth, for some kind of creative impulse, uh, even if it's one of mourning or lamentation, uh, then, then it gives us the, the acumen, it gives us the skill, the tools for meeting whatever comes our way. Uh, and, and that's not to, car, that's not to um, sugarcoat anything. This isn't Pollyanna. We're not saying it doesn't hurt. We're saying that it hurts and there's something else that is true about the experience. It's giving us compassion for other people who are going through uh, similar experiences. It's connecting us to the, to the have-nots, the, the, the underprivileged or folks who, who are in need. There's something to be found in every experience that leads to wisdom. And our job and what we get better at along the way, along the path as we suffer more and more, uh, is to find that way uh, to, uh, to a solution that grows us, that deepens us, and that frees us. Uh, and, and what the people in, in When You're Falling Dive have all found is their own path to a different kind of freedom, uh, and a freedom that mostly didn't resemble what they thought was freedom for them. It was certainly what didn't match up to, to, their, to their own fixated hopes. But what they discovered is that they... That, that life was much, much bigger, and that they, their self, their larger self, was just far more expansive than they realized, and that they had the capacity for so much more uh, love and so much more of so much more change than they that they realized. They realized that they are we are shape shifting beings. It's in our wiring to transform. Uh, the ego fights transformation, uh, but we are wired to transform. So when we are able to go past the, the ego and touch into that, that hunger for transformation, which is spiritual, uh, then it becomes much more dynamic uh, and we live with a lot less fear and a lot more imagination and joy. Uh, we're not living in dread, kind of braced for the worst, which unfortunately is how a lot of folks you know, live their lives. As Thoreau said, uh, lives of quiet desperation. Many, many people live their lives in a state of quiet desperation. And there's another way of, of being. Thank you so much, Mark Matusik, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. We cannot transform what we have not first blessed without blessing everything, our harshest parts especially. We cannot be turned around by the coincidentia oppositorum, the conjunction of opposites, the sacred marriage, the wisdom that only arises from reconciling yin and yang. This is from the book, When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living by Mark Matusik. Definitely check out his website, markmatusik.com, and all of his other books and work. Until next week, I am Simran, in love, of love, with love and as love. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Zimron next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.